Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome everybody to week number three of a series called Weary. This is a series for anybody and everybody who has ever felt spent, exhausted, worn out, and feel like you just can't go on anymore. We've been looking at the book of Ezekiel, and there are 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel. And since this is a four-week series, we're obviously not going to hit every chapter in the book, um, but we are going to be hopping all over the place in Ezekiel today. So uh, get your Bibles ready, turn to the book of Ezekiel, and uh, get ready to uh, follow along. Uh, as you're doing that, uh, I just want to remind you of the context of this, uh, this book and Ezekiel's story. Ezekiel was a prophet to the Israelite people. Uh, the Lord had uh, given him a miserable, painful ministry assignment. Uh, the paycheck was bad. The benefits were non-existent. And his audience was not receptive. And uh, no matter how unrewarding it was, though, Ezekiel taught the people of Israel exactly what the Lord had commanded him to speak. Now, in the middle of it all, in the middle of this crazy job that the Lord had called Ezekiel to fulfill, um, uh, God told Ezekiel, uh, you have a job to do to tell the people of Israel to change. And oh yeah, by the way, by every human standard, you will never succeed in this job. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 real quick, or verses 4 and 7 real quick. Then the Lord said, Son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. But the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are hard-hearted and stubborn. Now, who would want that job? Would you want that job? I certainly wouldn't want that job. None of us, because all of us want... To succeed. And that is the topic of today's message from the book of Ezekiel. We're going to be looking at success. Now, before we do that, I've got to give you a little bit more context about Ezekiel and the time in which he served. Uh, Ezekiel lived uh, uh, in the nation of Israel during a time where Israel had been conquered by the Babylonians. Uh, prior to being conquered by the Babylonians, uh, Israel had uh, been a united nation, one country, uh, for, for several generations, and then the, the uh, uh, country had a split, if you will, a civil war, and they had the north and the south, and they divided into two countries. The northern kingdom uh, was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And uh, over the course of time, these two countries, uh, who were one people, the Israelites, but they lived in two countries, they uh, fell away from God routinely. In fact, in the uh, nation of Israel, 
For uh, generation after generation after generation after generation, they had one bad king after another. And by bad king, I don't mean kings with bad uh, policies and bad political uh, uh, motives and that sort of thing. By bad king, in the context of the Israelites, I mean a king who did not follow the Lord. And in fact, kings who uh, uh, led the people of Israel astray and led them to follow false gods and to worship other gods instead of the one true God. And so these bad kings led uh, Israel over and over and over and over again, one bad king after another. Now Judah did a little bit better. They had some good kings uh, sprinkled in with some bad kings. And uh, then after this period of time where the people of Israel were uh, by and large all falling away from God, the Lord uh, became tired of allowing them to uh, 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 stray like they had been doing. And the Lord said to the Israelites, all right, I'm taking my hand of blessing off of you, and uh, that's it. I'm going to let you suffer consequences for your sin. And he allowed the Israelites to be conquered by the Babylonians. Now, this was also the time where Daniel... Uh, was a uh, uh, serving the Lord and Daniel we find in the book of Daniel uh, the stories of him in the lion's den we find about his, his friends Shadrach Meshach and Abednego uh, this was at the same time that uh, Ezekiel was serving the Lord but Ezekiel was stuck watching the city of Jerusalem as it was being sacked and destroyed by the Babylonians. Um, he was there working with the people of Israel and the people of Judah, preaching to them to repent, to come back to the Lord. And uh, uh, God had told him, by every human standard, you're not going to be successful. Nobody's going to listen to you. And uh, all of us in our culture, at least, here in America, uh, we, we want to be successful. Success can be something of an idol in our culture. And in fact, I, I just want to say it right up front today, our culture gets it wrong where success is concerned. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at three lies that we tend to believe in our culture about success, and then we're going to look at the truth about success. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write some things down. Uh, number one, the first lie that we believe about success is this, success is determined by how I feel. Success is determined by how I feel. I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 6, where the Lord is speaking to Israel, and he says, Son of man, groan before the people, groan before them with bitter anguish and a broken heart. Now, the Lord didn't say to him, shout with joy, preach an inspiring message that's going to make the people feel good. He didn't even say, be sure you're really in a happy mood when you get ready to speak. Basically, God told him in this instance, I want you to feel like garbage when you start speaking to the people of Israel. I want you to groan before them with bitter anguish and a broken heart. We often, in our culture, measure success by how good a front people can muster. They need to appear like they have it all together. Well, there's a Greek word for that. I want you to say this word with me. It's buldo odu. Everybody say buldo odu. 
Yeah, that's right. Boldo Odu. Uh, well, uh, if you put those two words together, uh, and, and, uh, or that, if you run all those uh, letters together, uh, it's actually Boldudu. Yeah, that's right. Boldudu. That's really, really not a Greek word. Uh, I just made that up and put that in there. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, you know, that's what putting up a front is. It's Boldudu, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's when we put this front up that everything is great and we have it together, we're faking it. And we're full of buldo odu, aren't we? Um, and success is not a fake persona that you place in front of others. Why? Because God can see right through it. Look at 1 Samuel 16, or 16 verse 7. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want you to say it with me. Success is not determined by how I feel. Everybody repeat that. Success is not determined by how I feel. The first lie that we believe about success is that it's determined by my feelings. The second lie, if you're taking notes, write this down. Success is determined by the support of others. Now that is a lie that we tend to believe, that success is determined when we have a lot of support. Now our culture tends to feed this lie like crazy. If a bunch of people pat you on the back, then you must be okay and you're successful and you're right. Now, social media feeds this lie like gasoline feeds a fire. The more followers we have, uh, the better we feel. The more likes we get on Facebook, the more satisfaction we receive, the more friends we have, the more value we think we have. We tend to think that the more people cheer us on, the better off we are. Now, you can certainly accomplish a lot more with the help of other people, but it is possible to be successful even when no one will come alongside you. In fact, from God's standard, it's possible to be successful when absolutely no one will come alongside you. That was the case in Ezekiel's story here. When we think about our culture and uh, uh, the support of other people, when we think that the more people believe it, the more right it is, the more successful it is, uh, we believe something very, very dangerous. Because if the majority of people make something right, that doesn't necessarily mean that in God's eyes it's right. For example, Nazi Germany. When we go back to Nazi Germany before World War II, the majority of people in the culture were a part of the Nazi party and voted and elected Hitler, Adolf Hitler, to become the leader of the country. The Nazi party took over through a political process. The majority agreed that it was good to slaughter Jews and blacks and to, to, um, uh, to, to stamp out the undesirable races to the Nazi party. Now, just because the majority said it was right, does that mean it's right? No. In our culture today, the majority of people seem to think it's right that uh, you don't really need sexual morals and values. You can be anybody you want to be sexually. You can have sex with anybody you want to have sex with, and it's okay. And in fact, if you come out of the closet, 
uh, many people will pat you on the back and say, man, you're a hero, you're awesome, way to go. And they'll knit you rainbow sweaters and, and make a real big deal about it and, and appreciate you and make you feel good about this decision. And you might feel like, I came out of the closet and it, it, everybody likes it, so it's okay. And I'm a success because of it. This was a successful thing for me to do. But in God's eyes, sin is sin no matter who says it's okay. In God's eyes, things that are not okay are never going to be really okay, no matter how much majority there is behind it. Look at Ezekiel 4, 4 through 15. I, I told you in previous weeks that we would be looking uh, at um, uh, some really, really interesting things in the life of Ezekiel, and some of those really come out here in this particular chapter. Ezekiel 4, 4 through 15, I'm going to pause uh, in some, uh, and uh, insert a little bit of information as we're reading through this, but let's start in verse 4. Now, Lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. This is what the Lord says to Ezekiel. You are to bear their sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I am requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days, one for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for, four, uh, for, 40, for 40 days, one for each year of Judah's sin. Now remember the two kingdoms, north and the south, and God is telling him, I want you to lie there for 330 days total, or 430 days total, uh, 390 plus 40. I think I did my math right. <laughs> that comes out to 430 days. And so for over a year, I want you to lie on one side and, and, and uh, the reason you're doing that is each day that you're laying there is symbolic of a year in which my people have fallen away. So for over 400 years combined, God's people have strayed away from him. Now, people get all offended about God in the Old Testament, say God is so judgmental and so angry and so mean. This passage alone shows that God is immensely patient and loving and full of mercy and grace 430 years of rebellion and God put up with it for that long I can't put up with my kids bugging me for 430 seconds but God was patient and long-suffering with the people of Israel God is a tremendously loving, merciful, and gracious God. Verse 7. Meanwhile, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem. Lie there with your arm bared and prophesy her destruction. I will tie you up with ropes so that you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. Now, before I tie you up, here's what I want you to do in verse 9. Now go and get some wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and emmer wheat, and mix them together in a storage jar. Use them to make bread for yourself during the 390 days that you will be lying on your side. Ration this out to yourself, eight ounces of food for each day, and eat it at set times. Then measure out a jar of water for each day. Drink it at set times. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes while the people are watching Bake it over a fire using dried human dung as fuel, and then eat the bread. 
Then the Lord said, this is how Israel will eat defiled bread in the Gentile lands to which I will banish them. Let's pause right there for some context. God had given the Israelite people very specific dietary rules in the uh, early parts of the Old Testament. Uh, God had given the people these rules because the science now supports that the diet God had given the Jewish people was a healthier diet than what most people in the world would be eating. It was a healthy diet. It was good for them. They were to avoid things like pork because pork really isn't very good for you. And uh, uh, many other things that the Lord said to them uh, they should avoid was food that had been contaminated. Uh, contaminated. If an animal dies, um, you don't eat that animal. Uh, the only time you eat an animal is if it is slaughtered so it's nice and healthy when it dies because then the meat's not contaminated, that sort of thing. There's all these very strict uh, uh, dietary laws, and, and one of the dietary laws was that you shouldn't eat anything that had been cooked over human dung. Now, this is gross, uh, but it's in the Bible. we we got to talk about this for just a second, all right? Human excrement is extraordinarily toxic and filthy. It is full of nasty bacteria. Uh, a friend of mine in Oklahoma was in a head-on collision and she was only wearing a lap seatbelt. And the uh, accident nearly cut her body in half. The seatbelt cut her all the way in half, all the way to her spine. And miraculously, her spine did not sever, her spine did not break. That was the only thing that held her two halves together. And um, the doctors were amazingly able to sew her back together, put her back together, and she's alive today and well. And this happened uh, over 20 years ago. I mean, just it was an, astro- uh, a, a, an astonishing uh, event when it happened. And um, the, the biggest concern of the doctors was not the fact that she'd been cut in half. The biggest concern from the doctors was that she, was that she would get a terrible infection from the bowels that had been torn open and the amount of excrement that had uh, spread throughout her body. They were more worried about infection from the junk inside her than they were uh, worried about the fact that she was nearly cut in half. Now, she made it, but the point of the whole story is that human stuff is really nasty stuff. And God had all of these dietary laws that the Israelites were supposed to follow. And uh, look at Ezekiel's response to this in uh, Ezekiel 4, verse 14. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, must I be defiled by using human dung? For I have never been defiled before. From the time I was a child until now, I have never eaten any animal that died of sickness or was killed by other animals. I have never eaten any meat forbidden by the law. All right, the Lord said, you may bake your bread with cow dung instead of human dung. (laughs) Yippee! (laughs) Great improvement, Lord. I still got to cook it over poo. That's that's disgusting. Well, um, 
uh, animal dung from uh, cows and other animals that are uh, purely vegetarian, um, their dung is actually uh, not as uh, gross and as toxic as human dung. And uh, in fact, in uh, the history of the United States, when um, the West was being settled and uh, people were, were moving out West on the Oregon Trail and the Santa Fe Trail and that sort of thing, they would ret- routinely, these settlers uh, would routinely cook their food over buffalo chips. Um, and because it was a great way and easy way to start a fire. And uh, so the Lord at least gave him uh, this out that, you know, all right, you can cook it over um, cow poo instead of your neighbor's poo. And, I mean, I guess that's a little bit better. But the whole point of this thing was to say to um, uh, Israel, because they would be watching Ezekiel do this, and they'd be saying, man, you're gross. You're defiling yourself. How can you do that? And the whole point of it was to say to the people of Israel, you are defiled. You have defiled yourself. And the defiling for you is going to get worse before it gets better. Now, what does this have to do with success? Do you think for a minute that that was a lonely assignment that he got? I mean, how many people do you think he had lining up to support him in this particular endeavor? Do you think his wife even supported him? Can you imagine what that conversation was like? I I wish the Bible had recorded this particular conversation that I'm, uh, a hypothetical conversation I'm about to present to you. I wish that the Bible had explained uh, what Ezekiel's wife thought of this, but uh, it doesn't. So I'm just guessing here. This is, I could be completely wrong. She might have been very supportive. But uh, my guess is that uh, their conversation went a little bit like this. Uh, Wife comes out and says, "Um, honey, you, you you don't look very comfortable. You're tied up on the ground with only one arm free, and um, you're eating food cooked over animal stuff. That's weird and gross. Maybe you ought to come inside. And Ezekiel's reply is, no, honey, that's okay. I'm, I'm doing the Lord's will. And then maybe the wife said, well, <laughs> I love you, dear, um, but this is a little embarrassing and then I can imagine Ezekiel looking up at his wife and saying, why, you're not the one tied up on the ground eating food cooked over manure? Just don't worry about it. This is what God's told me to do. It's all going to be fine. And my guess is that at some point his wife probably looked at him and said, you look like a deranged idiot. Get up! Now, maybe he had some friends that came along and said, way to go. You're doing what God is calling you to do. But... Most people who saw this thought he was nuts, right? What would you think if your neighbor was laying on the front lawn cooking food like this, tied up with one arm free and laying there for over a year? You'd think something matter with you, man. This is goofy and weird and bad and uh, you would probably not be supportive of your neighbor doing this or your friend doing this. Um, uh, so I could just imagine that the vast majority of people were saying to Ezekiel, <laughs> more power to you, buddy, you're kind of crazy, and uh, see you later. And they weren't in his camp. They weren't saying, boy, man, we're proud of you. Way to go. You're doing what the Lord wants you to do. 
Have you ever done something where you felt utterly alone? Maybe you're going through something right now where you feel utterly alone, where uh, other people, they they don't know what it's like to raise a child with a disability. And so because you have a child with a disability, maybe you feel very, very alone. Or maybe you think to yourself, other people don't know what it's like to file for bankruptcy. Other people don't know what it's like to be responsible for a ton of employees and their families like I do. I'm a business owner or a, a, a manager, and I've got all these people that work for me, and I've got a, I, I'm responsible for them. And maybe you feel like other people can't relate to and, and don't understand what it's like to teach children, to deal with their crazy parents and then to get paid peanuts. Maybe you think you're utterly alone because you feel like you have a teenager who is rejecting, rejecting everything that you've taught them and it seems like other people's teenagers listen to them. Maybe you feel utterly alone because you're facing a disease or some kind of challenge in your life and the people around you aren't facing those things. Maybe you feel like other people don't know what it's like to be as depressed as I am, to have a boss like mine, to live with my parents, to be buried, married to, to my spouse. Now here again, social media fails us tremendously. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all of these social media platforms, everybody looks so happy, Right? I mean, everybody puts their happy stuff out there. But then we look at our lives and compare it to the happiness that we see, and we think, I'm really struggling. I'm weary. I feel alone. Nobody else seems to understand. Everybody everybody else's life looks like they have it together, but I don't have it together. And we feel utterly alone. God had an assignment for Ezekiel. And success in this assignment didn't require that others understood him. It didn't require that others could relate to him. It didn't require that they lie down with him. Success just demanded that he push through. I want you to remember success is not determined by the support of other people. You may be going through something difficult and feel like nobody can understand. Well, guess what? The Lord has you in that place and in that season for a reason. Romans 8, 28, God's word tells us this, that um, lost my place here in my notes, Romans 8, 28, and God uses all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Whatever terrible thing you're going through, the Lord has allowed you to be in that place at this time for a very specific reason. And if you will love him and live according to his purposes, he will turn that thing around and use it for good. You can be successful even in the loneliest places in your life and the loneliest times and the loneliest seasons of your life when you do what the Lord says. Love him. Live according to his purposes. And God will take that lonely, bitter, awful time and make something beautiful out of it one day.
The second lie that we believe about success is that success is determined by the support of others. The first one was that success is determined by how I feel. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this third one down. Success is determined by the results. Success is determined by the results. Look at the results. They speak for themselves. That makes me successful. Uh, Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. Uh, We're going to read verses 30 through 32. And the Lord says straight up to him here, okay? Many of the people who come to hear you, uh, to hear you preach and speak, Ezekiel, they are coming for the entertainment. They're not coming for life change. He, He gives them this disclaimer right up front. Let's read this. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. Son of man, Your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them. Like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. I bet Ezekiel had to wonder, is what I'm doing worth it? When nobody is going to listen, when people are not going to be changed by the message God is having me speak to them, is it worth it? This is something that, uh, as a pastor, I struggle with uh, routinely. Every pastor that I know wrestles with this because we prepare and work hard and study the Bible and get ready to teach, and then we wonder, is it really changing people? Is it really affecting them? And we wonder about the results. Have you ever wondered if what you're doing is worth it? Maybe you're selling the best product, but few people are buying. You're trying to get your kids to listen, but they just don't. You make the greatest effort to have a good marriage, but your spouse doesn't even seem to notice. You try over and over and over to satisfy someone, but nothing that you do for that person is ever good enough. You've shared your big dream with somebody else, but instead of supporting you, they said, that'll never work. Have you ever wanted to throw your hands straight up in the air and say, why do I even try? I'm sure Ezekiel felt like doing that. We have this tendency to want to give up when we don't see the results that we want. Why do we have that tendency? Because we buy into the lies about success. That success is determined by how I feel, that it's determined by the support of others, and it's determined by results. Success is not determined by results. It's not determined by the support of others, and it's not determined by how you feel. So what is success determined by? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Success is determined by what I do with the time God has given me. Success is determined by what I do with the time God has given me. Success is what you do with what you got. God put you on earth in this place, in this time, to make a difference. What are you doing with your time? 
God didn't put you here in 1952. God didn't put you here in 1907 or 1863 or 1776. God, God didn't put you here in 2073 because you're 2373 because you're not in Star Trek. God put you here now in 2018, in this time, in this space, for a specific reason. What are you doing with your time? The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, one of my favorite uh, books. It's actually not one book. It's split into three books. They're big volumes. It's a long, hard, difficult book to read. If you're a geek like me and you love all things uh, geek, like Star Wars and Star Trek and fantasy stuff and games and and knights and elves and trolls and monsters, if you like all that kind of stuff, um, then the ultimate test of your geekhood is whether or not you've read The Lord of the Rings because it is a significant challenge and people who, who are really proud of uh, being nerds like myself, uh, we've read Lord of the Rings, we love it. Now maybe you took the cheater way out and you watched the movies and that's okay, at least you understand the context of the story. Uh, maybe you don't know the story. Well, in the story of Lord of the Rings, there's this little short person. Uh, his name is Frodo Baggins and Frodo is a halfling or a hobbit He's a tiny little man, okay? And um, uh, he has uh, uh, come into possession uh, of a magic ring. And this ring is actually an evil ring, and it has tremendous power to do horrible, evil things, and it must be destroyed. And Frodo, since he's the one who has it, he is the ring bearer, it falls upon him to have to destroy this ring. He has to take it to a very dangerous place in a very dangerous time, and he's just a little tiny half a person, and he's got to destroy this ring. And Frodo says, to, uh, says out loud, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And his guide and mentor, Gandalf the wizard, responded, so do all to, who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. For all you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given you. We, like Frodo Baggins, have to decide what to do with the time that is given us. And Ezekiel had to do the same thing. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 16 through 20. The Lord says to Ezekiel, Therefore, tell the exiles, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Although I have scattered you in the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary for you during the time of exile. I, the sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel once again. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols, and I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. In this passage, the Lord says, I will give them the singleness of heart. I will put a new spirit with them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart. I will give them a tender, responsive heart. You see, what the Lord is saying here in this passage to Ezekiel is, Ezekiel, you're not responsible for the results. You're not responsible. 
I am. I am responsible for the results. What you're responsible for is doing what I've called you to do in the time in which I've called you to do it. In your own life, God is responsible for the the results. You are responsible for following his direction. Romans 8, 28. God uses all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things, but it's contingent. God doesn't use all things for good. He uses all things for good in the lives of those who do what? Love him and are called according to his purposes. If you listen to God and do what he says in the time in which you live, God will turn the most miserable things in your world into wonderful, beautiful, joyous works of art. It may not happen in your lifetime. In Ezekiel's case, it did not. The results came long after he had died. By every human standard, he was not successful. But by the only standard that mattered, God's standard, Ezekiel was a smashing success. You too can be a smashing success when you listen to God and you do what he says. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.